This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we approach the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of the Lord's Supper, we read from 1 Corinthians 10. As you well know, you find the institution of the Lord's Supper, as we read last Sunday in the Gospels, and the Apostle Paul now in 1 Corinthians 10, as well as 1 Corinthians 11, refers back to that institution of the Holy Supper. Today we read 1 Corinthians 10. Paul especially speaks about the Supper in verses 15 through 21, but we read we read verses 1 through 21 of 1 Corinthians 10. Hear the Word of God. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto, unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word on the basis of that portion of Scripture as well as on many other parts of God's holy Word. We have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism regarding the Lord's Supper, 
we consider this morning, Lord's Day 29, as well as the first question and answer of Lord's Day 30. Lord's Day 29, do then the bread and wine become the very body and blood of Christ? Answer, not at all. But as the, as the water in baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, neither is the washing away of sin itself, being only the sign and confirmation thereof appointed of God. So, the bread in the Lord's Supper is not changed into the very body of Christ, though agreeably to the nature and properties of sacraments, it is called the body of Christ Jesus. Why then doth Christ call the bread His body and the cup His blood, or the new covenant in His blood, and Paul the communion of the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks thus not without great reason, namely, not only thereby to teach us, there's the language of sign, not only thereby to teach us that as bread and wine support this temporal life, so His crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink whereby our souls are fed to eternal life. But more especially, by these visible signs and pledges to assure, there's the language of seal, to assure us, that we are as really partakers of His true body and blood by the operation of the Holy Ghost, as we receive by the mouths of our bodies these holy signs in remembrance of Him, and that all His sufferings and obedience are as certainly ours as if we had in our own persons suffered and made satisfaction for our sins to God. Now, question answers 80 of Lord's Day 30. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us that we have a full pardon of all sin by the only sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which He Himself has once accomplished on the cross. And that we by the Holy Ghost are engrafted into Christ, who according to His human nature is now not on earth, but in heaven at the right hand of God His Father, and will there be worshipped by us. But the Mass teaches that the living and dead have not the pardon of sins through the sufferings of Christ, unless Christ is also daily offered for them by the priests. And further, that Christ is bodily under the form of bread and wine, and therefore is to be worshipped in them, so that the Mass at bottom is nothing else than a denial of the one sacrifice and sufferings of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, before we delve deeply into this sacrament of the Lord's Supper, let's take a step back and first of all, admire the grace of God in giving to us His church simple illustrations to help us understand the deep truths of His Word. At baptism, we have considered the simple illustration from everyday life. Water washing away dirt or filth. It's common knowledge, children, you know, that when your hands are dirty, you wash the dirt with water. When your body is dirty, you take a shower and thereby wash the dirt away. It's a simple concept from everyday life that God brings into the church at baptism so that illustrated at that sacrament, there is a deep truth. Christ's blood is represented by the water, washes away the guilt of our sin so that we stand innocent, not guilty before the judgment seat of God. And Christ's Spirit, also represented by the water, 
washes away the old man off the throne of our hearts so that he no longer reigns. The simple illustration God graciously gives to us so that we might understand the deep truths of His Word. Now at the Lord's Supper, God uses another simple idea, a simple illustration from everyday life, and that is that food and drink nourish our bodies. That's a simple, basic illustration to teach us deep truths. It is common knowledge, even a young child understands this, when you feel weak, when you feel your belly empty, you feel your mouths dry, and you know you need nourishment, well, you go to mom for a snack. You, you come to the dinner table and you eat and you drink. And God uses the food and drink so that your bodies are nourished. In fact, you also know that for strength and life, for nourishment, you have to eat and you have to drink. For without eating and drinking, the body not only weakens and is malnourished, but that body dies. God uses that down-to-earth, simple illustration to teach the spiritual truth. Now listen to the Heidelberg Catechism, answer 79 that we read. Here is the spiritual truth that the simple illustration teaches. As the bread and wine support this temporal, this earthly, physical life, so His crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink whereby our souls are fed to eternal life. What's, what's the support for our spiritual life? How do we continue living? How are we nourished? Well, we need food and drink for our souls. And the food and drink for our souls is Jesus Christ. That's a simple teaching of the Lord's Supper. Marvel at God's grace in giving us these simple illustrations so that we might understand deep truths and even children may understand deep truths of God's Word. Today, we not only consider the simple doctrines that the Lord's Supper shows us, but we also address the errors that attack these doctrines and the truth in the Lord's Supper. You notice that in Lord's Day 29, we consider errors. Last week, in Lord's Day 28, we saw the positive teaching of the Lord's Supper and this week, we must consider the errors, errors which the Roman Catholic Church holds to, errors which the Lutheran Church holds to, errors which the Baptist Church holds to, and, never forget, errors that we also tend to hold to. The, the errors of the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran and the Baptist Church, those errors are not just out there. They're errors of our own sinful nature, and so we must guard against those errors. Exactly because we consider errors regarding the Lord's Supper, we include in our consideration this morning question and answer 80 of Lord's Day 30, and that's sharp. That's sharp. And again, it's sharp not only against the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church and the Baptist Church, but it's sharp against any error that sprouts forth from our own sinful nature. At bottom, the Roman Catholic Mass is nothing else than a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. So this morning, consider with me the simple truth of the Lord's Supper over against the errors. Consider it as it is taught in Lord's Day 29, as well as the beginning of Lord's Day 30, under the theme, Communion with Christ at His table. Communion with Christ at His table. First, His real presence. Second, the real nourishment 
And then finally, our object of worship. Our Lord Jesus Christ is present. He is present at His table. Children, Jesus Christ is really here at Hope PRC at the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And for that matter, here today in church. He is personally at His table. He is the host who serves the meal. In combating against error today, we may not, we may not lose sight of that. While we say today He is not present with His flesh and His blood physically, do not lose sight of the truth. Hang on. Hold to it. That He is present. Though He is not present with His flesh and blood, He is present. Really present. And that's not mysticism. That's to believe in the spiritual and not just the physical. So consider the error. The Roman Catholic Church cannot imagine that Christ could very really be present at the Mass or the Lord's Supper unless He is physically present. And so they teach a physical flesh and blood presence in church at the Lord's Supper. And in order to explain the, the physical presence of Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper and in church, they come up then with an extra-biblical explanation called transubstantiation. You know that well. The Roman Catholic parishes today, yes, still with their parking lots full as you drove to church this morning, they still hold to this superstition. It is official doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church today. The Catechism asks, do then the bread and wine become the very body and blood of Christ? And the Roman Catholic Church answers, it teaches, yes, indeed. So that when the priest says those words and makes prayers, and he says those words, this is my body, and they used to say it in Latin, hoc est meum corpus, this is my body, their hocus pocus becomes or causes an actual transformation so that permanently the bread and the wine change into the actual, the literal flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. The whole Christ is there, they say. Not only the, the flesh and the blood, but also the soul and the divinity of Jesus Christ is suddenly present with the priest's words and prayer. The, the form of the wafer and the form of the wine is still there, but the substance, they say, has changed has become flesh and blood. The Lutheran church does not teach an actual change of bread and wine to flesh and blood, but the Lutheran church has this in common with the Roman Catholic church in that they also teach, officially so, that Christ is physically present. He's physically present with His flesh and blood. In, with, and under the bread and wine. And to explain how he is, he is there with His physical flesh and blood, the Lutheran church comes up with a different extra-biblical explanation than what the Roman Catholic church comes up with. Their explanation is called ubiquity, or the omnipresence of Christ's flesh and blood. So that while Christ with His flesh and blood can be in heaven, He can also be in, with, and under the elements. And they insist upon that because of Jesus' words, this is my body, and this is my blood. And against the Roman Catholic and Lutheran teaching, the Catechism says in question and answer 78, 
Do then the bread and wine become the very body and blood of Christ? And the answer is, not at all. No, not at all. It's a sign. It's a seal. And because it's a sign and a seal, very simply, it's, it's, it's a figure of speech. In, in literature class, children, in, 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 in English class, you've heard of a, a metaphor before. A metaphor. And in that figure of speech, you may speak in that way. This is my body. And you don't mean literally so, but that it represents the body. So when Jesus also said before, I am the true vine and ye are the branches, the ladies' Bible study has been studying that, I am the vine and ye are the branches, we don't jump to the conclusion that He has literally become the vine and and we have become the branches. And when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the people did not immediately jump to the conclusion that He has become a literal lamb or sheep. Metaphorical language is everywhere in the Bible. And so also in the, in the Lord's Supper, especially in the Lord's Supper, it's called a sacrament. There's a sign there and a seal. Figurative language, like a metaphor, is supposed to be used. And that's the meaning at the end of answer 78 of the Catechism. Though agreeably to the nature and properties of sacraments, it is called the body of Christ Jesus. It's supposed to be called that. Because it's a figure of speech according to the nature of sacraments. That you might see the bread and wine as a picture of his bread, of his body, and his, and that wine is a picture of his blood. Certainly, the disciples in the upper room didn't take Jesus to mean that what Jesus was holding in His hands when He was instituting the Lord's Supper was actually, literally, His flesh and blood. He was present. In fact, His very presence proves that the bread and wine couldn't be His flesh and blood. For He was standing there with His flesh and blood, and His flesh and and His body was still intact, we may say. His, his blood was still flowing through His veins and, and, and His skin was not yet broken. He did not break off a piece of His flesh. He did not drip blood from a wound into a cup when He said, this is My flesh and this is My body. But He held out bread to His disciples and wine and they drank it as such. Christ is not present through the process of transubstantiation. He is not present because of ubiquity. He is not present physically, but then as I began the main point this morning, you must know He is present. I refer you back, turn a few pages back to Lord's Day 18. In Lord's Day 18, where the Heidelberg Catechism teaches the truth of Christ's presence especially, Especially as it is connected to the ascension, the ascension of Jesus Christ. There, the catechism also combats a Lutheran error, the same Lutheran error. But in question and answer 47 of Lord's Day 18, we read of the biblical explanation of Christ's presence. Is not Christ then with us, or present with us, even to the end of the world as He hath promised? And the answer, Christ is very man and very God. Don't forget, He's both man and God. With respect to His human nature, He is no more on earth or present on earth with His flesh and blood. But with respect to His Godhead, His majesty, His spirit, He is at no time absent from us. And so... At the Lord's Supper, we must remember Christ is present with His Godhead. He is present with His majesty. He is present by His Holy Spirit. Don't minimize that. He is here. 
here with us today, here with us at His table. That is not any less real, any less real than Christ being here with His flesh and blood. We tend to think that the invisible is less real. But let me ask you, your soul, that's invisible. You, you can't see your soul. Is it real? You know it's real. That bond that unites you to a loved one who dies, it's invisible. But at death, you don't say that that bond wasn't real. That was real. When we talk about the, the dark spirits and Satan, and they're invisible to us. We don't say they're not real. We know they're real because we feel the temptations that they bring. And same with the angels who we cannot see with our physical eyes, but they're real. They say, fly among us as people and are agents of protection and ministry to us. And so also, when we speak of Christ's presence, that's not saying that He's any less real in His presence. As real as the person now sitting next to you in the pew, so Christ is present. Not physically now, but spiritually with His Godhead that is as the second person of the Trinity along with the first and the third, Christ is present. With His majesty that is with His glory. And beloved, if He were to let you see all His majesty and glory, you would not live at the supper. You would die at the supper. But He hides His glory, His majesty from you, though His majesty is here. And His Spirit especially His Holy Spirit, that Christ Jesus sends His ascended Lord, is present with you and even in you. Lord's Day 28, Lord's Day 14, about the ascension says, He's always with us. But now consider this. There is a special presence of Christ when we assemble together in His house. That's Matthew 18.20. There Jesus speaks of the gathering, even if it's small, the gathering of His people with office bearers, like His disciples. And he says in Matthew 18:20, "Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them." He is present, you know it. When he speaks his word, you hear him. He's present at the supper. You know Him. That He's there. That He's feeding and nourishing you. 1 Corinthians 10 that we read calls the Lord's table a communion. Communion. That's the title of the sermon today too. Communion means fellowship. That there is fellowship or communion with Christ at His table means that it's as though He sits at the head of His table and He distributes to us His body and His blood. In His house with His preaching and with His supper, there is something that He does. He's present with us and there is Something like a transcending of time. 
you experience this. We are transported back in history 2,000 years ago, especially to His one sacrifice. So that when we hear that word preached and we see, we see that bread broken and that wine, that red wine poured out, we don't only see with our physical eyes these elements and hear with our physical ears some words that the minister says, but our minds and our hearts by faith is transported back in history 2,000 years ago. And we see we're brought to the Garden of Gethsemane where in agonizing anticipation, our Savior, my Savior, cried out, let, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And, and we, we know the drops of blood which seeped from His poor, so intense was that agony. We're brought back to the day when tongues and whips ripped His heart and His back as His own people persecuted Him. We're brought back to the day when thorns of scorn and a crown were, was pressed into His skull. When nails were driven into His hands and His feet and His disciples were driven from Him as they forsook Him. We're brought back to the time when He was forsaken. His darkness covered the land. The fire of wrath drowned his soul. And he gave himself up on the altar of the cross. And we hear not just what he said to them, but what he says regarding you. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he died, it is finished. Salvation is purchased, it is accomplished. Christ is present at the supper, at His Word. You hear Him. You see Him by faith. As He points you to His one sacrifice. The Mass denies that. The Mass says He must be present. Why? He must be present not to bring you back to His one sacrifice, but rather that there might be a re-sacrifice. And that's why question and answer 80 speaks of it this way. That the living and the dead have not the pardon of sins through the sufferings of Christ unless Christ is also daily offered for them by the priests. That's Roman Catholic teaching. Mass needs to happen not only once a week, but every day for the Roman Catholic Church. Even if the people don't show up. Because the priest must daily offer a re-sacrifice of Christ's body to cover the sins that were committed between each Mass. Or else they're not covered. And I've heard even of some places that it happens every hour because they know sins are committed every hour and they're not covered unless there is a re-sacrifice. A denial, the Roman Catholic, or the Hebrew Catechism says, a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ. He is present according to His Godhead, majesty and spirit at the Lord's Supper. Not to be re-sacrificed, but He is present. To show us His one sacrifice. But there's a second aspect to the Lord's Supper that we must consider this morning. Not only His real presence, but that there is real nourishment that Jesus Christ gives to us at His Supper. Christ is really present and Christ really nourishes us. It's not a nourishment 
by physical means of the hand and mouth, but at the supper, Christ nourishes us by faith, by the spiritual instrument of faith in Jesus Christ. More on the positive in a few moments, but first consider the negative, the error regarding the supper. This is, this is actually the worst error in the Roman Catholic Church than what we just considered transubstantiation. The worst error regarding the Lord's Supper in the Roman Catholic Church is the idea that grace comes from the very act of physical eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ. Grace comes from the very external act of coming to Mass and eating flesh and blood physically. Think of that. The hand takes what is believed to be Jesus' skin, His sinew, His flesh, and there's a chewing, a swallowing, and a digesting of that in the stomach. And then somehow, now put aside the cannibalistic idea here, but think, think of how the physical ingestion and digestion of flesh somehow causes there to be an infusion of spiritual strength into the soul. That's the problem. Physical eating and drinking gets me grace. That's the problem. The hand takes what is red blood and that which is imbibed, gulped, swallowed, and brought into the stomach and besides the vampire-like act. Think of the more serious issue that the physical drinking causes there to be an infusion of grace into the soul. And then think of the example of Judas Iscariot who partook of the Lord's Supper and received something by his physical eating and drinking. And they would have to say that there is a spiritual nourishing by that physical act. And we must insist against that serious error that the soul is not nourished by physical eating. Jesus said Himself in John 6, verse 63, this, the flesh profiteth nothing. Remember in John 6, John 6 is the well-known chapter where Jesus speaks of the necessity of eating and drinking His flesh and blood. And the disciples came to Jesus afterward, even though He had explained Himself what He meant. They came to Him afterward and they said in John 6, verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And Jesus then re-explains Himself to His disciples with those words in verse 63 of John 6. It is the Spirit. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Don't forget those words. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so, so to the Roman Catholic and to the Lutheran church and those who would claim that the physical act of eating and drinking actually gets me grace and nourishes my soul to forgiveness and life, Jesus says to them too, the flesh is profiting you nothing. But let me ask you a question. You who heartily reject the Roman Catholic Mass and are grossed out by the very thought of eating and drinking Jesus' blood and body physically. Let me ask you, do you, do you think that the physical action of taking bread and eating it and taking wine and drinking it is what gives you grace? I pray not. 
Because then Jesus' words would be to you as well, the flesh profits you nothing. That's the same Roman Catholic concept. It's the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. In fact, not only does it profit you nothing, those who come to the Lord's table seeking to be spiritually nourished by the outward physical act of eating bread and drinking wine, eat and drink judgment to themselves, not discerning the Lord's body. So now positively, while we do not receive nourishment by the physical act of eating bread and drinking wine, we do receive nourishment. Precious, soul-strengthening nourishment as we eat the bread and the wine by faith in Jesus Christ. As we take the bread, as we take the wine, something is going on and ought to be going on inside our hearts. A believing, a trusting, a conscious receiving of Jesus Christ. That's faith. The main activity, to put it in other, in other words, the main activity of the Lord's Supper is not in a, in a horizontal direction from table to hand, from elder to your hand and mouth. But the horizontal actions should make you think of a vertical, a vertical receiving from Jesus Christ. From Christ on high, through the bond of faith, you're receiving Him and all blessings that are in Him. By faith, you are eating of Him. By faith, you are drinking of Him. That's what's needs, that is what is going on at the Lord's Supper and must be for there to be nourishment. To eat Christ at the Supper, you must be believing in Christ. In this horizontal reception. Jesus said, John 6 verse 35, I said He was clear before, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to Me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on Me shall never thirst. Now hear what the Lord's Supper form says in, in explanation of that text. The Lord's Supper form is very clear sometimes when we're listening to the Lord's Supper form, we tune out. But you must hear these words of the Lord's Supper form right before the elements are distributed. These are the words regarding faith. That we may now be fed with the true heavenly bread, Christ Jesus. Let us not cleave with our hearts unto the external bread and wine but rather lift them up on high in heaven where Christ is our advocate at the right hand of His Father, whither all the articles of the Christian faith lead us. Not doubting, but we shall as certainly be fed and refreshed in our souls through the working of the Holy Ghost with His body and blood as we receive the bread and wine in remembrance of Him. Upward, beloved. Always upward. Whether you're hearing the preaching, whether you're receiving the sacrament, always upward is your faith directed to see Him there who has made an end of all your sin. Because that sinless Savior died, your sinful soul is counted free. God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon thee. That's faith. The hand and mouth of the soul clinging 
to Jesus Christ, your only Savior. And by faith, there is nourishment, real, lasting nourishment. And that distinguishes the Roman or the Reformed view from the Baptist view. The Reformed view from the Baptist view, or the Zwinglian view, it's called sometimes. It's the view that the Lord's Supper is merely a memorial, a remembrance. Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. He did. And so at the Lord's Supper, we do so in remembrance of Him. Remember, we just said that Christ Jesus is present to direct us historically, 2,000 years ago, to His one sacrifice. So we remember Him. But it's not only a memorial, it's a supper, it's a sacrament during which God nourishes us by faith. In the way of, or as we partake physically of the bread and wine. The middle of Answers 79 says that, but more especially, by these visible signs and pledges assure us that we are, as really partakers of His true body and blood, by the operation of the Holy Ghost, as we receive by the mouths of our bodies these holy signs in remembrance of Him. It was once said to me that in most Reformed churches, even in Protestant Reformed churches, the people are doctrinally Calvinistic regarding the Lord's Supper, but practically speaking, they're Zwinglians. They have a Zwinglian view. It's just a remembrance for them. Let that not be true of you. There is an active faith that draws from Jesus Christ on high at the supper. A Spirit-wrought faith through which there is real communion and nourishment from Christ. And that for His glory, He Himself nourishes us. He, by His Spirit, through the instrument of faith. He nourishes us, and when we receive that nourishment, there's a soul stirring to glorify Him so that we do say with our hearts, bless, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Negatively, there's not a reverence for the bread. It's not a reverence and a worship of the wine or of the minister that distributes it or of the church in which it is brought or administered. Question and answer 80 points, that, points us to that at the Roman Catholic Popish Mass. Question and answer 80 tells us of two differences between the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass. The first, we've already seen. The first difference between the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass is that the Lord's Supper directs our attention to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for the full pardon of sin. The Mass, on the other hand, teaches that we don't have pardon unless there is a re-sacrifice at the Mass. But now, the second difference that question and answer speaks, 80 speaks of has to do with worship. Worship. That Christ, the Roman Catholic Church teaches, is bodily under the form of bread and wine and therefore is to be worshipped in them. At the Mass, because of the Roman Catholic teaching, the people are led to revere the host, which is the bread, they call it. The bread becomes the host. To revere the wine, because that is Christ. 
There's a bending of the knee. They call it a genuflecting. There's an awe directed toward the elements of the supper. And because of that, practically speaking then, that awe has to be also directed to the priest because the priest is the one who is transformed or changed the substance of bread and wine to body and blood. And then also, there has to be a reverence and an awe and a worship of the church and the Pope at the head of the church. Question and answer, 80 minutes, no, no words, and properly so. That's an accursed idolatry. But again, that's not only a danger in Roman Catholic churches. It's also a danger in Reformed churches and Protestant Reformed churches. Because worship, you know, is a heart matter. Not first of all a knee matter, but a heart matter. What are you worshiping when you come to church? What are you revering when you come to His house and as you leave here? What is your heart focusing on when you say, that was awesome? That, that dunk Saturday night in a basketball game that's distracting you? The big deal you made in a business deal that's distracting you. The sacrament itself, the preacher, how faithful you are, how amazing our denomination is. God forbid. God forbid then the catechism's woe would be upon us as well an accursed idolatry. And may God forgive us because we need His forgiveness when, when our hearts do stray in that idolatrous direction. Oh, beloved, beloved, repent and look by faith, focusing your eyes of faith, your ear of faith, your mouth of faith to Jesus Christ alone Receive from Him in the preaching, from Him at the supper alone. May the hearts of God's people think always, day by day also, on the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ as my only pardon, as my only refreshment, as my only source of life. Let the love of God in Jesus Christ be your strength. Your true satisfaction your joy, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations. Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day Sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.